how many of you have your bulletins with you? Okay. Uh, many of you were here last week. Uh, some of you may not have been, but if you look at the cover, uh, you'll see something kind of strange. Maybe you're familiar with this, uh, perhaps not. Uh, there was kind of a phenomenon that happened uh, probably back in the 90s, I think, where uh, these books showed up for kids that were called the Magic Eye. And you would open them up and you'd look at them. You know, you'd kind of put your nose up against them and you'd kind of let your eyes relax. And then all of a sudden, as you're looking at it, you would see a 3D image emerge. And uh, some people have, uh, have, have, have taken that whole experience and, um, and, and, and given it a religious overtone. And so what I did was I, I, I put on the front of our bulletin um, a magic eye uh, experience. And uh, if you're here last week, how many of you saw an image in there whenever you tried that? Some of you, okay, so you know I'm not, I'm not making this up, right? Okay, it is a thing. Uh, and, and some people have, uh, you know, they, they've strained their eyes. They've had to go to the eye doctor this week because it was just too much. And they uh, are still struggling to see it. Um, hopefully, uh, by the end of our experience here uh, in this message series, uh, everyone uh, to a person will be able to do that. Uh, I, I don't really have any pointers other than, you know, if you need probably some better lighting, and you can just take your, your bulletin and you can just put up against your nose and let your eyes relax and as you do and you move it away from yourself slowly. Um, you might see an image of Jesus there. Uh, yeah, there I see it. Okay, it's not always easy. Uh, it shows up better on my computer screen. So if you're like, I need a little bit of help, Leonard, uh, come in and see me sometime uh, in the next few weeks, and I'll be happy to help you. Or email me, and, and I'll send you a copy of it, and you can do it, look at it on your own screen. The whole point of it, though, however, is to... Give us a sense of what it's like to see something but not see something. And when it comes to the person of Jesus, I, I sincerely believe that a lot of us, uh, as we've uh, grown in our awareness of who he is in our lives, uh, his image becomes uh, increasingly clarified. But if you're like me, there was a period of time when I heard about Jesus. I saw the John 3.16s on the banner in the football games in the end zone. You know, I, I knew people that would uh, give up different things for Lent because they were Catholic. And I just had sort of a smattering of religious information coming in to give me a sense of who Jesus was. Uh, but it wasn't until I started reading the Gospels that I began to have uh, a, a picture emerge, much like the magic eye. And when that picture began to show itself for what it was, I realized something, that the, the, the idea that there is a God um, expanded into um, an awareness that not only is there a God, there is a God who loves me and loves everyone on the planet. And there is a God who wants to be in a personal relationship with each of us for the duration of our time here on earth and then on and on forever. And as Jesus began to disclose himself, it became obvious to me that the more I saw of him, the more I wanted him to be a part of my life. 
And maybe that's been your experience as well. I hope so. I hope that as you read the Gospels in the, in the New Testament and you, you see those red letters jump out at you, you begin to uh, uh, see something, not just uh, uh, information on a page, but um, uh, words that bring to bear the reality of the presence of Christ. The Bible has a, has a strange way of, of allowing Jesus to emerge through those words. And uh, much like looking at this, all of a sudden you see him. And that spiritual layer of each of our lives begins to be filled uh, with a personal knowledge uh, of Jesus. And I don't know about you, um, but I'm, I'm so thankful that the religion, if you want to call it that, that, that we practice isn't really a religion at all, but rather it's a relationship between ourselves and a God that we've come to understand uh, in the face of Jesus. That's really what I enjoyed about the message that you guys shared. Was how Jesus in his own way has disclosed the face of God. And, and that's really what the Gospels are trying to do to us. To take away some of the mystery and some of the confusion. And, and, and some of the um, uh, really um, uh, just, just lack of, of understanding of who our God is. And the book of Mark, as we're going through it uh, in, this, uh, in this season, uh, as we're looking at Jesus in disguise, uh, beginning to show himself, uh, I think uh, hits that theme very well. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 1, and in it, uh, Jesus just came on the scene, and it was sort of guns blazing. It was like, I've been waiting 30 years for the Father to say, now it's time to reveal why you came here to earth. And right out of the gate, he gets baptized. He starts calling people into ministry with them, apostles. And then as he disciples them along the way, um, he, he touches the lives of people that need healing, and other people who are tormented by demonic spirits, find their souls uh, uh, discovering peace as they get to know him. And he is just shaking everything up. And the way that he does it is so unconventional. It is so unlike anything uh, that people in, the, in, that, in that world at the time had, had seen before. That it started, to, it started to kind of kindle a sense of excitement and anticipation for the people that were on the receiving end of his blessing. That said, as magnetic as Jesus was right out of the gate, and perhaps even for you and I, there's another side of that that we also have to consider. And that is the fact that Jesus came into the world and he upended everything uh, is also an indication that he may do that for you and I. Because there's a lot of us in the room who we've got sort of a subtle way of thinking and doing things that may be not in alignment with God's purposes. But God says, I know that you're drawn into the presence of my son. But when you follow him, all of you has to follow him. Every part of you has to follow him. And there are parts of us that just reluctantly along the way give up kicking and screaming. Um, and it may be just the fact that, for starters, you, you, you're, you're thinking, I've got to give up my Sunday to worship. And as you do, you discover that it becomes an important rhythm that feeds your soul every week. And without it, your week just doesn't go right. And you see what you gave up actually becomes a benefit. 
And maybe others of you, you start, you start giving or tithing and you're like, I just don't know if I can do that, if God can, can really provide for me. And yet, uh, if, you, if you take the step of faith and you begin to align your own personal economy with the economy of God, you discover that um, uh, what you give, He more than provides. And at every turn... When Jesus looks at our lives and he says you need to give up something, he's not doing it in a way that takes all the joy and fun out of our lives. He actually is doing it in a way that helps us to discover that the thing that we gave up was actually a substitute for the true thing that he had to present. And it's almost like when Jesus knocks on the door of our, of our hearts. And that's really the image that we find in the Bible when God comes into our world. Of God is through his son knocking on each of our doors. And some of us are like, I, did you hear something? No, I didn't hear anything either. And then all of a sudden we open the door. He comes in. But he doesn't come to rob us of our joy or steal all of our fun. His goal is actually to bring things with him and to set things on the mantle and around the house that are just reminders of things that we used to do that would substitute um, uh, the things of God for lesser things that would ultimately maybe destroy us are now replaced with good things. Now, I want to go into... um, with that understanding into the book of uh, Mark and, and look at chapter 2. And if, if you have your Bibles, you're, you're certainly welcome to take a peek at it with me. But if not, I've got it up there on the screen. Uh, Brian, our Swiss Army worship guy, pretty much can do anything, anytime, anywhere. Need some bells? Well, gotcha. Need need, need uh, some praise music? Gotcha. Need some mic stuff? Gotcha. So, um, he's invaluable. And now he's given us some scripture, and let's take a look at what, what we have here. Mark says, And when he returned to Capernaum, meaning that he's been out doing ministry and shaking it up, and he's, he, he, re, he returned after some days, um, it was reported that he was at home. So the setting here is Jesus' house. Um, we don't hear a lot about Jesus' house mentioned in Scripture, but apparently uh, this was the place where he lived. And he goes back home, and if, you're, if you've ever traveled and you go home, do you want a whole bunch of people at your house when you, when you, when you go back to recover? Well, I'm not sure he'd... He necessarily did either, but to show the face of God, uh, we see even under those circumstances. He comes home, he's tired, uh, and uh, guess what? Surprise! House full of people. Many are gathered there so that there was no more room. And even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Uh, Might as well preach a sermon since everybody's here. Maybe take up an offering too while we're at it. And, and they came and bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And what's interesting is how they invade his space. Because, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they decided to go up on the roof and um, 
and, and, and begin to tear uh, the roofing material away. And making an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. However, however, not everybody was magnetized by the presence of Jesus but rather others were very skeptical and dubious about all the things that he was trying to do. And so some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in the spirit that they uh, thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, you may just read that as another Bible story. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is, he's, he's not just shaking it up. He's not just coming into the world of the religious establishment and saying, how you've been doing things isn't getting it done. He's coming in and he's saying, this is the beginning of a, of a change of, of, of everything. And if you're like me, you, you didn't see it at first. Until I went back into the Old Testament and I, and I reviewed the promises of God and how God was working and what was to be expected when Jesus came. So I want to just take a little sidebar uh, tour for a second and set this up a little bit. You know how everyone said that Jesus is one who preaches and teaches and heals as one with authority? And they weren't used to seeing that because in their mind... Uh, the only place that you could find anything that represented authority was the temple and priests and the religious establishment. And they weren't really that magnetic. They weren't really that appealing. But have you ever been around somebody that just carries that weight of authority? I remember the first time uh, I went to pray um, uh, for, the, for the, um, uh, the, the Ohio Senate. And I just was overwhelmed by the, really the gravity of the environment. And I got to meet the Speaker of the House and, and several members of uh, the Senate at that time. And there was just a sense that the responsibility that was on the shoulders of these people really did uh, ripple out into literally millions of lives based on the policies that they would uh, determine for the well-being of our state. And just in being in that environment, you sensed there's many layers to what, 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 we're, what, we're, uh, what we're looking at. 
And if you can just take that on the scale of the United States Congress, if any of you have ever met a, a congressman or, a, or a, 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 a senator or even the president in, 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 in whatever iteration we've had them, you know that there is a lot that is sort of weighted in their person and their character. And if you've ever had that experience where you've been around somebody that had that level of, of gravitas, you kind of get a sense of what people thought when they saw Jesus. Here's just a simple guy carrying with him all of this spiritual credibility that they had never seen before. And it was like, there's a change in the air. People could feel it. And if I could just show a graphic real quickly, I want to describe how this change happened. In this graphic that you're looking at, it may seem a little weird, but it tells the story of how authority has been transferred over the years. And originally, in the beginning of the Bible story, before creation, the people with the greatest authority, I'm sorry, I apologize to you guys for that, but the first column says, God, the angels, or archangels, and, and the angels. These were the ones in charge. These are the ones who basically were responsible for putting things into order and creating things. And then after that happened, God gave Adam and Eve authority over all of creation. The Bible says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And as they did that, God said, I'm establishing you as authority figures over all of the created elements. Plants, animals, everything. And with that sense that they were given that level of responsibility, only second to God, below them, the archangels are are, are charged with the, with the responsibility of helping them in the process. These unseen beings who would, uh, in a sense, at that time, point in time, manifest themselves so that all of creation, both the unseen and the, and, and the seen, were working together for a purpose. But there was one person in the mix who was an archangel, and his name was Lucifer. And we read about him in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And there you find uh, that he was actually the most, um, the most glorious of the, of, the, of the archangels. Really just kind of second in the divine council uh, next to God himself. The difference being God is, is not a created being and Lucifer was. And Lucifer did not like the fact that we humans, and not necessarily fully aware at that point, were given authority over all creation, and he wasn't. And the scripture tells us that he rebelled against that whole order, and he, he, had, he was persuasive enough that the, that the Bible records that a third of the angels themselves were so drawn in by his vision that, they, that the archangels and, and, his, and his followers should have dominion over humans that they plotted to usurp the authority that humans have. You with me so far? Is this boring you? Okay. If it is, just nod your head like this and then just stay there. Okay. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, underneath that are, are the angels. And that, that really is the setup. 
And because Lucifer did not like the setup, he went into the garden and he began a conversation with those who were in authority. And he basically persuaded them to follow his leading and not God's. And the understanding of some theologians is that is when the authority structure began to change. And the hierarchy went something like this at that point because those in the garden had given Satan the authority to rule over their lives. And in the aftermath of all of that, it went like this. God, Satan, humans, and the angels. And notice the priority here. And when Jesus came onto the scene, it was clear that there was one in charge that took issue with Jesus being called the Son of God or the Son of Man. And he showed up. And he said, I have been given authority over everything on the planet. And this was when Jesus was being tempted after he was baptized. And he just declared it. And who gave him that authority? Well, according to the scripture, we did. And now we live under his rule. And according to the conversation that Jesus had in that first chapter of Mark, God is still on his throne, but Satan has been given authority over everything. And he could deem who could do what and who could receive what. And it just only, the only requirement was to bow down to him. And Jesus is looking at this situation. And as he comes into our world, humbling himself in the form of a man, he's showing that there is a new day getting underway. Where the rightful authority that we had under God's dominion and not Satan's dominion, is in the process of being reestablished. And I want you to let that soak in a little bit. Because a lot of us, when we think of Satan or Lucifer, it could be a scary thought. It could be just a little funny character in, in a red outfit with some horns and a, and a, uh, and a trident. Um, you know, I don't know what your picture is, but essentially, like Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. And the fruit of his rule meant that chaos was at work in the world. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, there were people who were diseased. There were many people tormented by demons who are part of Satan's hierarchy of agents. And basically, everyone felt like there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better day. There's got to be a hope that is beyond what we're hearing down there in the temple with the priests and with the, with the law and the rituals and everything like that. Even though they're kind of bringing us into that reality, it's not enough. You with me? So when Jesus came on the scene, he was from a different seed. He wasn't from the seed of Adam. He was from... The, the, the divine conception of Mary. He was from God. But yet he was one of us. And he began a process to recapture what was lost back then through him. And the way that he demonstrated his authority was by showing that all of the things that 
Satan had authority over, particularly our lives, and even the diseases that we carry around, and the demons that haunt us, Jesus said, you're no longer in charge. But the Son of Man is. The new Son of Man. The one who is from a different source than the ones who have been here on earth. And so what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb was through blood sacrifice, he went down into that moment and he bore our sins and our transgressions and then he went into the grave and his holy presence in the grave with that holy blood that, that Satan received as a sacrifice to him began to just detonate the whole thing. So much so that Paul said, where, oh death, is your sting? Because even that does not have authority over our lives anymore. So when Jesus is showing up on the landscape, all of this is underway. He's starting to create a new moment where we no longer have to live under the tyrannical oppression of a tyrant who was given authority through trickery over this entire world. And when Jesus came, and we read this story in Luke or Mark chapter 2. When he came home and he saw all of these people, he was saying, I'm so glad they're coming here to receive whatever it is that I can give because that's why I came. And he's lowering, he's seeing these, these, these friends who are desperate to have uh, their paralyzed companion healed of that infirmity so desperate that they're willing to knock a hole in another person's roof. Jesus of all things. They are so hungry for what he is offering them that Jesus is looking at the dust starting to fall and then the hole emerged and then the sunlight coming and then people looking at him with hopeful eyes. And I know Jesus is thinking, man, we got a lot of work to do. And when he healed this person... He told him, your deepest need is not healing. It is forgiveness. And forgiveness is a way of saying to God, we're sorry. And we want to show that to you in a way that reestablishes everything that was lost a long time ago. In a way that says, we're tired of being broken. And we're tired of the empty promises of the way of life that we've been living. We're tired of having to face frustration on a daily basis. We're ready for a Savior. And Jesus began to pave the way. Not just through healing. Not just through casting out demons. But more fundamental to the whole situation. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. And then establishing us in our rightful place. Now that's not fully realized. The war is won, but the battles are still fighting. And a lot of us are saying, we are ready for that moment, Jesus. 
when we no longer have to live under that tyrannical rule. But here's the problem. In the story here, there are opponents who like the way things are because they have power. They have their own version of authority over people. And to some degree, they can even exploit the situation. And they're getting upset. And there's a pattern in Mark. It goes all the way through about the, about the 10th verse of chapter 3. And it goes something like this. At first, the resistors pondered this in their heart. And then the next episode, the resistors, scribes and Pharisees and so forth, question the disciples. And then the next episode, you see as you read through those, those chapters, they question Jesus about it themselves. And the next one was, they, 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 they began to heap accusations upon him. And then the next one was, in chapter 3, it just all culminates. At that point, they stopped questioning and they conspired to kill him. You see, Satan is not going to let go kicking and screaming. And he had assumed that using the religious establishment of all people as his minions, that he could do away with the problem. And we're going to be celebrating Easter. But before we get there, we have to understand why it is that we're celebrating. Because something has changed. And it centers not in a religion, not in a ritual, but in a personal relationship with Jesus. And that is the only way we can regain what's been lost. There's no other way. There's no other person. And there are many people that are aligned with the forces of this world that want to keep things as they are. And there's even a part of us that says... Hey, you know what? Better the devil that you do know than the devil that you don't know. And you're sort of like, I found a contentment where I'm at in life. I've made my peace with my own version of chaos or dysfunctionality or sin or pain. And I'll just roll with it. And God's saying, don't. Don't. Begin to walk into the reality of my son's presence. And as you take a step towards him, he will take a step towards you. And he will begin to show you as he comes alongside of you what you've been missing out. Because you've been so propagandized that this is all there is and this is all there will ever be. And what Jesus came to say was, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And the reason I came is not only to heal, not only to deliver you from torment, not only to forgive you of your sins, but to then begin to move you into a place where God intended you to be in the first place. And that's why churches are on this planet. Now we may lose our vision for why we're here, what we do. We may even become our own version of the religious establishment. But at the end of the day, our mission is to take this good news and just humbly bring it into the lives of other people and say it doesn't have to be that way.
because Jesus is a game changer. And he loves you like he loves me. And I just want to offer that to you today. Somebody had said that whole story in, Gen- or in Mark 2, 1 through 12, is just a microcosm of the gospel. Everything about the gospel is sort of contained in that. And so in some sense, you've heard everything you need to hear. The question is, why are you remaining captive? I love the story of the elephant that was chained for so long and then got so habituated to that way of thinking that whenever the, um, the circus, um, um, uh, the, the elephant manager person, that's what it says in the dictionary, um, said, um, you know, I'll just disconnect the chain because you don't even need it anymore. Because in his mind, he's already shut it down. He's not going anywhere. And sometimes God looks at us and he said, the prison door is open. You can come out now. It's okay. And that's what we're doing today is opening that door and inviting you to come out.